0: Let's read this together in unison. 2 Timothy 1, 1-7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful that it is not the things that we haven't done, the way we dress, the prayers we make. None of these things can cause us to live before You and stand righteous before You. Only Christ Father, at first that's humbling, but then it is comforting when we truly see who we are. We know that we could never be acceptable to you and ourselves, but you in your mercy and grace are willing to impute to us the perfection of Christ by faith alone. We are so thankful for this. We, we glory in the gospel this morning. And Father, as we Glory in the Gospel, may we understand also that it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, and that it is saving us, and it is at work in us to will and to work for your good pleasure. We ask that you would enable us by this text this morning to be changed, to be motivated, to be empowered by the Spirit for the work of ministry. You are coming soon, Lord Jesus. Our time is short. The world grows more and more rebellious toward you. The expressions of human depravity are, in this, in this era of life, growing more and more bold. And we pray that you would enable us, in turn, by your grace, to demonstrate the power of the gospel to live godly lives and also the power of the Spirit to proclaim the gospel in truth and love. We pray that this text would work to that end, that your kingdom would advance that your will would be done, that you would be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Three weeks ago, we began our study of the letter of 2 Timothy. And during that first study together, we learned that this is is the Apostle Paul's last letter. And indeed, he wrote this letter from the Mamertine prison just, I don't know, maybe weeks before he was martyred. And tradition tells us that he was beheaded for the sake of Christ. And in this letter, he is handing off to Timothy the the baton of gospel ministry, particularly the ministry to the Gentiles, to the nations. Paul knew that by God the Father's choice, he was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles and to preach the gospel to places who had never heard, never heard the name of Christ and did not know that all peoples are welcomed into the family of God through Christ. And so he's giving Timothy many exhortations and encouragements in this letter in order to build up Timothy. To prepare Timothy to be his successor. And ultimately, we talked about three areas, three goals that Paul has in this letter. And they were the, the main idea in that first session that we had together. And I would like you to remember these parts Timothy is being being challenged and exhorted and encouraged by Paul so that the message of the Gospel would be preserved. That's that's the first priority in Paul's mind. The message of the Gospel must be preserved. Secondly, that Timothy as a man would be prepared. If the Gospel is going to go forth in power, God has chosen to use men and women whose lives reflect the power of the Gospel. And then thirdly, that the ministry would be perpetuated. Paul had a strong conviction about how New Testament ministry must be done. And so those are Paul's three goals with this letter. As he's handing off the baton, he's passing the mantle, he desires that the message of the gospel be preserved, the man be prepared, and the ministry be perpetuated. So with these goals in mind, let's look this morning at the first of many exhortations that Paul gives to Timothy. And you can see it right there in verse 6 in our paragraph. Notice it with me. For this reason, Paul says, I remind you, here, here's what he wants Timothy to do, to fan into flame the gift of God. To fan into flame the gift of God. And so this is, this is our main point for the entire message. Everything else in verses 3-7 through seven sort of revolve around this one exhortation. You can see the main idea at the top of your notes there in the bulletin. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. And the way we're going to do this particular sermon is we're going to go through, and I'm going to, to show you what Paul is exhorting Timothy in in this text. And then we're not, to the very end, going to seek to apply it to our own lives. So it's going to almost feel a little bit like a third-person sermon in a way. Here's what Paul is exhorting Timothy. I'm going to let you be the audience of that, and then we'll bring it to bear in our own lives in the conclusion. Paul precedes this particular command, fan into flame the gift of God. He precedes it with some precious memories that he has of Timothy. Timothy. And God's work in Timothy's life. I want you to notice, it is a repeated word throughout these verses. He says, as I remember you, as I remember you, I am reminded of. And then in verse 6, he says, for this reason now, Timothy, I remind you. It's a a neat little uh, device that Paul is using here. There's some things I want to tell you that I am reminded of, Timothy. And now, because of these things, I'm reminding you to do something. And so Paul shares these memories to motivate Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God. Paul follows this command in verse 6 with another powerful encouragement. But this one isn't a reminder for, that, that Paul brings up in his own mind. He just simply states it. And maybe of all of the reasons for fanning into the flame, Uh, the gift of God, this may be the most powerful reason. In fact, as I'm personally studying these things, this one seems to impact my heart the most. And maybe it will yours as well. Paul says to Timothy, I'm reminding you to fan in the flame the gift of God for because God has given us a spirit. And I think it would be appropriate if that S were capitalized. The spirit that God has given to us is not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Oh, what an amazing motivation that Paul gives to Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God that is in him. So everything about this text helps Timothy to understand why he should fan into flame the gift of God. Each part is intended to motivate him to do so. But before we look at these motivations individually, I think we need to understand what Paul means when he says fan into flame the gift of God. So let's just take a look at this particular exhortation. Fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame. That's a visual, right? It's an illustration, a word picture. Rekindle something. See in your mind a... A dying campfire, as it were. Stoke up the heat. Set the bellows in motion. Supply the pilot light with a blast of fuel. Now, I want you to know, first of all, what Paul is not saying. When he's talking to Timothy and reminding him to fan something into flame, he's not indicating that Timothy's faith is in danger of dying out. Faith is in salvation. He's not indicating to Timothy that I think Timothy, your salvation is leaving you. I think, I think the Spirit of God is leaving you. I think that, that uh, your faith is dying. That's not what Timothy is saying, or that's not what Paul is saying. That can never happen, in fact, to a genuine believer. And we know that, particularly because of verse 5 here, because Paul just gets done telling Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. You have genuine saving faith. Paul's talking about something else. When he says, I'm reminding you to fan into flame. Timothy could, though, for various reasons which we'll explore, neglect exercising his spiritual gift. He could leave off using it. He could cease developing his spiritual gift. Cease maturing it. And his spiritual gift is what I think is in view here, particularly because the same words are used in First Timothy 4 and verse 14. And we've already talked about that text weeks ago. First Timothy 4.14, the Apostle Paul is really exhorting Timothy to the same thing. He says, don't neglect the gift you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So it does sound like Timothy is neglecting his spiritual gift, the exercise of his spiritual gift, the passionate productivity of that gift that he has given. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 talks about quenching the Spirit. That's possible for believers to do for various reasons, to hold back, to dampen the exercise of the spiritual ministry that they have, the work of the Holy Spirit through them. The employment of that gift. Or fail to use the gift as he ought to. 1 Peter 4.10, Romans 12.6 encourages us to use our gifts, whether speaking or serving. So to fan into flame means to rekindle the spiritual efforts towards something. Rekindle the spiritual efforts to exercise and advance this gift. The gift of God. Well, as I said, the word gift here is the classic New Testament word referring to spiritual gifts like what we would see in 1 Corinthians 12. The Holy Spirit gives to each believer spiritual gifting for the building up of the church of Jesus Christ. We know that each believer has received spiritual gifts. Speaking gifts. Serving gifts. Or both. And these gifts are used for the building up of the church, whether evangelization or edifying or both. And most likely, every believer is called, well, every believer is called to evangelize and to edify. And it's that gifting and the presence of the Spirit within that enables the believer to do that for the building up of the church. The Holy Spirit who lives in each believer is the one who chooses those gifts and supplies those gifts and empowers those gifts and this is why the gift is said like it like paul writes here to be in you through the laying on of paul's hands this is the gift that timothy timothy needs to fan into flame the spiritual gift given by the holy spirit for the purpose of building the church Now, notice also this phrase. It's very interesting, and I don't know that any of us have had this particular experience, but it seems here, well, more than seems, it's very clear here that that this gift came to Timothy through the laying on of Paul's hands. This phrase, again, makes it clear that Timothy's spiritual gift is in view. The same description is found in both 1 Timothy 4.14 and this verse, the laying on of hands. Timothy was ordained as Paul's apostolic delegate. And it was the council of elders and Paul himself who laid their hands on Timothy and prayed for him and sent him to do ministry work. In fact, according to 1 Timothy 4:14, there apparently had been prophecies made about Timothy that indicated what God would use him for. It's kind of like it was with Paul. Remember in Acts chapter 9. The Apostle Paul, those who were surrounding the Apostle Paul, knew what his ministry was to be. God told Ananias, I have chosen this one to suffer great things, to go and proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. So there must have been a prophecy made about Timothy as well. And Timothy's gift had to do with his office and function in the church, which apparently had to do with the tasks that Paul is charged with. Timothy to accomplish. And there's many of those, right, all throughout the two epistles. Preach the word, Timothy. Train men. Stop these men from teaching false doctrine and so on. So many exhortations all throughout these letters. And that's what Timothy's gift was for: the accomplishment of those things. A lot of it had to do with leading and speaking in the body of Christ. And so this gift that Paul has, or that, that Timothy has was apparently given to Timothy through the laying on of Paul's hands. God chose the instrument of the laying on of Paul's hands to give Timothy that gift. So Paul is exhorting Timothy, really, in this text, think earnestly about your gift. Think about where his spiritual gift came from. How was it given to him? Why it was given to him? What the Holy Spirit intends to do through him. And on that basis of truth, Paul is compelling Timothy, don't be held back in fear and timothy and timidity. Timothy, get excited about your gift. Be a useful, faithful steward of your gift. Use your gift the way God would have you. Develop, expand, mature your gift. Depend upon the Holy Spirit every time you use your gift. And watch and see what God will do through you in the body of Christ. That's what this text is about. So Paul says, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. So, four reasons this morning. Why should Timothy fan into flame the gift of God? Four spiritual motivations. And that's why I've titled the message the way I have. Motivating reminders. Number one, a legacy of godly service. That's the first reminder that Paul gives to Timothy. Verse 3, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. Paul remembers Timothy constantly in prayer day and night. Timothy, Paul is Timothy's spiritual mentor. Paul remembers Timothy in prayer, day and night. Isn't that what good mentors do? Don't they pray for their disciples? Not not hit or miss. Not when it's felt like. But day and night. Constantly, Paul says, in my prayers. Day and night. Paul, Paul couldn't have said that with more emphasis. Paul is praying for Timothy constantly. And as Paul is praying for Timothy, he's not just asking for more of God's work to be done. Sometimes that's how our prayers for one another can be, aren't they? Sometimes we're like, God, please just change this person. I'm so tired of what's going on in their life. Look at what Paul is saying about Timothy. Paul in his prayers, he is filled with thanksgiving to God. He's not just asking for God's ongoing work. He's pouring out his heart of thanksgiving. But here's the question. What specifically is Paul thinking about in Timothy's life that brings him such thanksgiving? As I remember you constantly in my prayers, I thank God. I'm so thankful for you. I thank God for what he is doing in your life. What is Paul thinking of? I think the heart of Paul's thanksgiving for Timothy is implied in the rest of what he writes here in verse 3. It's it's really difficult to understand a little bit of how these verses are woven together and provide these motivations and these reminders for, for Timothy to exercise his gifts. But I think this is what it is. Follow my train of thought. Paul views his apostolic ministry for the sake of Christ, the gospel, and the church as service to God. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve. Paul views his ministry as service to God. Just catch that thought. This word, in fact, is a very important word in the New Testament. It's a special word. It's used in the New Testament for religious service in particular. This isn't the the common word for service that we usually see in the New Testament. This is religious service. And it's often translated in the New Testament as worship. 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 It can refer to the worship of God by observing rites and rituals that God Himself has instituted for worship. And it can even refer to the discharging of duties as a priest in sacred office. That's the service that Paul sees describing his own ministry. Service as worship in the temple unto the Lord. That's how Paul viewed his ministry life, a service of worship unto God. Every message he preached, worshiping God, valuing God. Every earthly sacrifice he made, it was an offering of worship to God. Every hardship he suffered, it was out of worship for God. Every sinner that God used him to call to repentance and salvation, it was an offering to God. Even the godly life he lived, which, which is what he is referring to by his clear conscience. Whenever Paul says clear conscience, he's talking about his life. He's, he, he's saying, my life or your life needs to be or my life is, needs to be consistent with the gospel that we believe. My life I am living in such a way, Paul would say, that I, my conscience isn't smoting me My life is godly. It's faithful with what I say, I believe. And so that's how Paul lived. That was his service unto the Lord, his worship. I want you to see this, how Paul does think of his life like this. Turn to Romans chapter 15 for a moment. This is, this is a really special theme that I hope we can understand even more as, as, as the years go by, that it would shape the way we serve and witness and work in the world as Christ's servants. Look at verse 14, Romans 15, 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Look, look at this. In the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You just catch this. This is this is Paul, another way of Paul saying. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it to the glory of God. Paul goes and witnesses to the Gentile nations suffering great things, sacrificing great things. Why? So that these nations would be saved and they would glorify God for His mercy. And so that their lives would become a living sacrifice bringing glory to God everything to exalt and value God. Verse 17, "...in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for the Lord. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ." And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of me of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. See, Paul's, Paul's desire, look back in verse 9. In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Everything Paul did was so that God would be glorified, that, that He would be worshipped and valued as He is. That's the way Paul viewed his entire ministry. He sacrificially served his God by doing whatever God had ordained for him to do in order to bring God's Word to the people and call the people to, be, to come to God through Christ. In addition to that, Paul realized that he was one of many men whom God had chosen for such service. Notice what he says here. I thank God whom I serve as a priest offering sacrifices and worship to God. I served that way, but also my ancestors did. He was one man in a long line of Jewish men whom God had chosen to speak His Word and call His chosen people to, to salvation. Both from the Jews and the Gentiles. Even in the Old Testament, it's more, more than Jewish people being saved, right? Ruth and many more. Paul was preceded by many just like him. The apostles, right? He said he was the last of the apostles and the least of the apostles. But before that, from John the Baptist to Moses, God had chosen and appointed many to proclaim the truth and call God's people to salvation. And now, with respect to this legacy of godly service, Paul thinks of Timothy as next in line, and he thanks God for him. That is a a wonderful provision for a dying man to realize God has appointed another man to take up the baton and keep the ministry going, to keep the gospel pure. Clearly, Paul knows that God has appointed and given Timothy to Paul for that continuing service of worship. Paul is passing that on. This, this is what Paul is doing throughout his letters to Timothy. This is Paul entrusting to Timothy the charge. Remember that word? All through 1 Timothy? Here's the charge, Timothy. You keep it. And this is why he exhorts Timothy calling him, remember? O man of God. Right? It's, he's putting him in a line of long line of godly men all through the Old Testament. Men were called the men man of God. David, Moses, Elijah, they were called man of God. And now Paul is saying, you're that man, Timothy, and I'm thankful for you. God has provided you for that. Notice what Paul says of Timothy in Philippians. Would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2? Philippians 2 19 through 24. I love how how Paul is so affirming, so thankful for Timothy in spite of all of his struggles. Philippians two nineteen. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him. Isn't that something? and how motivating these words would have been to Timothy. Timothy, God has called you to be next in a long line of godly men who have served in the ministry of the gospel. You see, hearing who you are in Christ, and who God has called you and made you to be is motivating and helpful. Timothy, God has called you. He's equipped you. He's gifted you. He's given you to me so that I could train you, and you could take my place investment motivates and encourages, doesn't it? Timothy, I pray for you constantly as you take up the baton of ministry, knowing that Paul was praying for Timothy is so helpful. Timothy, I'm so thankful to God for you. Isn't isn't that motivating and encouraging too? Gratitude? Timothy, God has given you a legacy of godly service, which is a great privilege and a great trust that must not be discounted and squandered. Spiritual privilege motivates. And so for this reason, Paul says to Timothy, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God. Look at the legacy that is behind you. I serve God, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. And now I'm thankful for you because you're the next one that God has chosen for this this legacy. Secondly, this morning, a legacy of genuine love. Look at the second thing that Paul remembers. Not only does he remember Timothy personally, but then he says he also remembers Timothy's tears. This is a second memory Timothy's tears. A legacy of genuine love. As Paul was praying for Timothy and thanking God for him, he also remembers their last parting. And that was meaningful to Paul. And now Timothy, or Paul brings it back to Timothy's. Mind and remember, reminds him of this. Paul was released a short season following his house arrest in Rome. We already know that from our first time together. Following that release, Paul came to visit Timothy in Ephesus as he said he would. Remember, Paul told him that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. I'm going to come to you shortly. And following that visit with Timothy... Paul continued to travel, proclaiming the gospel and visiting his disciples until he was arrested finally in Troas, incarcerated in the Mamertine prison of Rome, and then martyred. And when Paul left Timothy in Ephesus for that last time, Paul was so filled with sadness, or I'm sorry, Timothy was so filled with sadness over Paul's leaving that he, what? He cried. I remember your tears. That Indicates a very strong bond of love between them. And we know that, like a father with his son. I remember your tears, and I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Great sadness at their parting indicates a strong bond of love. And, And again, notice how Timothy felt about, or Paul felt about Timothy. It wasn't a one sided relationship. You know, Timothy's just amazed at Paul, but no, Paul also loved Timothy. I long to see you, Timothy. A great longing Paul had for them to be together and anticipation of a great joy in their reunion. And Paul greatly desired for Timothy to come to him, especially now that he was incarcerated. I want you to remember that. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. And verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon. Right? He He sent Tychicus to take Timothy's place in Ephesus. Why? He wanted Timothy to come to him in his final days. And Paul now calls Timothy's attention to that legacy of genuine love from which he benefited. Timothy benefited from Paul's love and in which he was nurtured so that he may now be loyal to Paul, loyal to the Gospel and Christ. It is loyal love in in Timothy's heart for those who had invested in him that would spur him on to be faithful, integral, godly, and persistent in service for God. I mean, that is how God designed relationships in the body of Christ. And you think twice before you abandon the truth. You think twice before you make a decision to live a life of, in, in sin. You think about those who love you and invest in you. It's love for those who had sacrificed greatly for the cause of the gospel that would demand loyalty and nothing less from Timothy. And ultimately, it's the love of Christ, isn't it? It's the love of Christ, for Christ, and from Christ that would hold them together and enable them to press on until they see Christ. In fact, the text that Jeremy read at the beginning of the service talks about that love. Second Timothy chapter 5, and verse 11, Paul writes, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to god and i hope it is known also to your conscience we are not commending ourselves to you again but giving you a cause to boast about us but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart for we are beside ourselves it is for god if we are in our right mind it is for you paul is calling the corinthians to be loyal to him and his ministry and not abandon Him and His love for them for some false teaching that's flashy. And so he says in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sakes died and was raised. It's Christ's love for us, sacrificial love for us, that causes us to live as sacrificial servants of His. How can a good and true servant of Christ cease using his spiritual gift for the edification of the church and the proclamation of the gospel? There is too much costly love in the cause of Christ invested for Timothy to become dispassionate and disloyal now. Do you ever think about that when you become discouraged? Think about those who have gone before you, not just your immediate family, not just your immediate church, but the body of Christ as a whole, ultimately Christ Himself. The writers of Scripture call us to consider that love and let that love constrain us. I mean, think about Timothy, think about Paul's investment. How far he invested in, in life of love. He says in verse 24 of Colossians 1, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Do you understand Paul's perspective? He's so filled with a sense of love for Christ and the church that in order to get the message of the gospel clearly, accurately handed over to those whom God has chosen for salvation, he is willing to endure anything that God would have him to, even to rejoice in his suffering. He wants to see those whom God has chosen stand before the presence of God mature, righteous, safe. And so he struggles with all of the struggling that God allows him to that's, that's what Paul is, is reminding here, just a, 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 little, a little taste of it. Timothy, I remember your tears indicated by your love. And I remember how much I love you. I missed you. I long to see you. I'm filled with joy. It's that kind of loyal love that existed between Paul and Timothy and Christ through the Spirit. And I think that Paul is also affirming to Timothy the genuineness of his spiritual life and ministry by reflecting on the true love of Christ that he saw in Timothy. Timothy, you've got the real thing in you. You love like Christ loves. I've felt it. I've seen it toward me. And since Timothy truly was filled with Christ's love, then that means he was a genuine servant of Christ filled with the Spirit and empowered to do all that God had ordained for him to do. So it's just that legacy of love, that costly love, That Paul is reminding Timothy of and saying, therefore, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. It's going to require lots of love, especially in days like this. Thirdly, a legacy of sincere faith. Again, another precious memory to Paul is Timothy's faith. I am reminded, Paul says, of your sincere faith. Timothy's sincere faith. What does that mean? Sincere faith? It, unfeigned? Undisguised? Unhypocritical? Timothy's faith isn't fake. It's genuine. His salvation is real. And that faith, Paul says first, was in his grandmother and his mother, Lois and Eunice. They were probably converted under Paul's ministry. Acts 16 verse 1 talks about that. And then they spent their lives... Delivering to Timothy the sacred writings which were able to make him wise to salvation. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 7, talk about that. And then Paul says, I am sure, I am sure that that faith dwells in you as well. Oh, what a gift. What a gift Paul is giving to Timothy here. Paul is saying to Timothy, I am soundly convinced. That saving faith has taken up residence in your heart, just as that did in your mother and in your grandmother. You have that same faith, Timothy. It's a good good verb here. I am sure it dwells in you. It's a a complete, it's it's a perfect verb that indicates a settled condition. Paul is calling Timothy to recognize, to deeply value, and depend upon the the sincere faith, that legacy that God had brought in his family and in his own heart. Not, not for the sake of Timothy's own doing, because Timothy knew that, that that faith he couldn't conjure it up for himself, that Paul gave it, that God gave it to him as a gift. Paul is calling Timothy, look at what God has genuinely done in your heart, in your life, through the Holy Spirit. Take heart. That God will continue that faith, develop that faith, strengthen that faith, and complete the work He began. Isn't that what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is about? For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And that's not your doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. But then continue the thought, the logic there. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God planned beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, God gives genuine faith to every true believer. That's the point. And you need to see your faith as not something that you have brought up in yourself, but a gift from God. Let that assure you. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Look at the faith. God gives genuine faith. He's given it to you. And He gives that genuine faith for an eternal purpose. And if God has given it for an eternal purpose, which He has in every case that He's given it, He will sustain it. He will nurture it. He'll develop it. He'll strengthen it. He'll mature that genuine faith. And God will empower that faith and that person to do all His will. He will do it through those who have genuine faith. And He'll make them fruitful in the church, in the body of Christ, for His glory. Paul is calling Timothy to take heart, be stirred, trust in the purposes and the power of God that is at work in you. I see it. Genuine faith is in you. For that reason, Paul says, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. All right, one more point this morning. Number four, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul is reminding Timothy of such great blessings of grace. He has a legacy of godly service, a legacy of genuine love, a legacy of sincere faith. God has worked in his life and brought him to this point and this place. Therefore, he needs to exercise the gift that God has given to him in the body of Christ for the building up of the church. So number four, the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the greatest gift of all. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Why? Because. That's what four means. Because God has God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is a verse you need to memorize. That's why I've had it in the bulletin for us as our memory verse these last few weeks. The gift of God that you have within you, Timothy, did not come to you with a spirit of fear. Think about that. As a Christian, you enter the Christian life and you see all that God has called you to. Is the spirit we are given a spirit of fear? Is that the main atmosphere of the Christian life? To be gripped by a sense of fear? When God saved you, He did not give you a spirit of fear. When God regenerated you and gave you genuine faith to trust in Christ and resurrected your spirit, He did not give you a spirit of fear. What is that fear? This, this word for fear indicates timidity, fearfulness, cowardice. That's the idea. It's not the sense of terror. You know, some, some usages of fear have that. This is a different word for fear. It's timidity, cowardice. This is important in understanding how to exercise our gifts for the the building up of the church. Paul knows that Timothy has been struggling with timidity, cowardice, fear with people. And this has dampened his exercise of the spiritual gift. I want you to think about that before I move on and continue to describe Timothy's situation. Just ask yourself, plug in here very carefully and ask yourself, as I have been given the gift of the Spirit and whatever additional giftings through the Spirit I have been given and I see God's call upon my life to advance the Gospel by Gospel proclamation and serve the body of Christ in some way, does timidity hold you back? Think about that. Paul knows what situation timothy is in he's been placed in a church that's full of difficult people with unbiblical doctrine that's a nightmare right angry quarreling men we know that i'm just i'm just reminding you of what's in first timothy 2 briefly here angry quarreling men immodest outspoken insubmissive women unqualified elders and deacons Legalism and prosperity teachings gripped the people of Ephesus. And Paul called Timothy to confront their unlawful use of the law. I mean, every time you have to confront human human beings in their pride for their legalism, that's that's asking for a a hostile response. Paul called Timothy to confront their love of money, their selfishness, the neglect of those they should have been caring for. Yeah, whenever you start talking money, that's that's going to be a, a difficult conversation. Timothy was young. He wasn't confident in his abilities. He was timid in temperament. We know that he was in poor health. And we also know that Christian persecution had greatly intensified during this day of Paul's writing of his second letter. And if he is publicly... And passionately exercising his spiritual gifts, Timothy knows he's, a, he's afraid of what may happen to him at the hands of Nero's men, just like what happened to Paul. He's afraid, and we know this from, and we'll look at this in the weeks to come, he's afraid that if he, he openly acknowledges his association with the Apostle Paul, it's going to come back on him. So, what has Timothy done? Apparently, he has pulled back and dampened the exercise of his spiritual gifts. Do you get the picture with me? Can you see how Timothy could have done that in this situation? I don't want to deal with all this. My life is at stake. Feel Timothy's pressure. Feel his temptation to timidity and cowardice. So Paul reminds him of what is most important at this time of spiritual conflict between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light when he must be exercising his gift at a level above other times for the sake of Christ, for the lost, for the church. And he says to Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of fear. The fear that is gripping you, Timothy, did not come from God In fact, it is a sinful feeling that must not fill you and control you when you are about to serve Christ. God has given you a spirit of power and love and self-control, Timothy. This is what you need. It's the spirit that has given you your gift. It's the spirit whom God has sent to fill you. It is that spirit who will enable you to exercise your gift according to the purpose and plan that God has ordained for you. It is that Spirit who will bear you through your fears and supply to you all that you need to bear fruit for God. Paul is calling Timothy to look away from his fears and consider the Spirit that lives within him. What kind of Spirit has God given to Timothy to enable him to exercise his spiritual gifting? Verse 7, power Love, self-control. Just what we need. It is just what we need. Power. What is that? The strength. The ability. The inherent indwelling power. That's that word. Power to perform whatever service God ordains and commands. Power to remain godly in the doing of the service. The power to influence others for the sake of Christ. That's a quality of the Spirit. Romans 5, 18 and 19 talks about that. No, no, Romans 8. I'm sorry, Romans 8, 18 and 19. The spirit that quickens our mortal bodies, it lives in us. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. He is able to do far more exceedingly above all that you ask or think according to the what? The power that is at work within us. You have that power if you are in Christ. Love, the spirit of love, a loyal Brotherly affection that makes a person willing to sacrifice self in the pursuit of another's greatest good and the glory of God. That's a quality of the Spirit. Romans 5.5, God pours His love into our hearts through the Spirit whom He has given to us. Self-control. This is a great word. Please grasp this. Self-control. It's the only occurrence of this word. It means sound judgment. Sound judgment. Some some translations have a sound mind. It's a sound judgment, listen, that combines both prudence and self-discipline. In other words, this is the spiritual capacity to say or do the right thing at the right time with the right attitude to restrain oneself from saying or doing something at the wrong time or with the wrong attitude i like that so much because don't you don't you go into ministry opportunities and pray that you say god please help me to say just what i should say and not say anything i shouldn't that's this that's this exactly. The Spirit of God gives you that ability. In fact, John 16 and verse 13 explains that this is one of the qualities of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't speak on His own authority. But what does He do? He speaks whatever the Son tells Him and reveals the things of God according to the will of God. So the Spirit has that and He gives that capacity to us. Paul is reminding Timothy that this is the spirit that God has given to him. And this spirit was a constant and powerful resident within him to enable him to do the will of God. So think about it. Apply it in Timothy's life. When he would see the task before him to serve the church and speak the truth, and then he would look at his youth and his weakness and his inability and his personal limitations, and his timid temperament. And he would observe or experience the suffering that accompanies a godly life in Christ and think, there's no way that I can fulfill my ministry. It was then that Timothy needed to remember that God had given to him the spirit of power to strengthen him and give him the ability to do all that he had been ordained and commanded to do. That's the spirit within Timothy, within every true believer. And when Timothy would encounter the immature and selfish and worldly and hypocritical and rebellious, even the hostile people whom he was commissioned to minister to and serve and to whom he was called to preach and evangelize and build up in the faith, he could feel his desires and affections for them grow cold. And wonder, is it worth all the sacrifice? And it was then that that he needed to remember that God had given to him the spirit of what? Love. Love for Christ. Love for the lost. Love for the church. That would enable him to be willing to make earthly sacrifices for heavenly gains. When Timothy would feel the weighty, intimidating, exacting demand of speaking the right words at the right time, in the right way, he needed to remember that he has the spirit of self-control to restrain his fleshly words and fill him with attitudes of Christ and love. Paul is declaring to Timothy that timidity and cowardice and fear before people has no place in Christian ministry. And there's no need to have the spirit of power and love and self-discipline within him. Therefore, at the door of every opportunity for the gospel, whether speaking or serving, he must forget himself and fix his attention on his primary audience and remember the spirit who dwells within him. That's how Paul says to Timothy, "Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Now, as we close this morning, let me bring Paul's exhortation to Timothy to bear upon our lives. And I'm certain that you've already begun to. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, let me ask you, are you fearful? Are you timid? Do you struggle with cowardice when it comes to the proclamation of the Gospel? to, To living out what the Spirit has filled you to do? Do you struggle with that? For, for a variety of reasons. First of all, understand that Christ has called you to make disciples by teaching unbelievers the gospel, whether in your home or in your neighborhood or in your workplace or in your family. Christ has called you to that. There's there's no believer that is outside that call and that enabling of the Holy Spirit. And second, Christ has called you to build up the body of Christ by edifying your fellow saints. This This is how we build up the body. We spread the gospel in the community and encourage one another to grow in godliness. Christ has called each of us to that. That's not just for some Christians. Please understand that. That's for every believer. And beyond that, Christ has given you a spiritual gifting to accomplish those services. That's true for every believer. This is not some spiritual elite. This is the life of every genuine believer. Evangelize the lost, edify believers, exalt Jesus Christ. And I want you to Take it a step farther in your mind with me. This isn't, that's not just part of your life. There's so, many, there's so many Christian communities across America that think of Christ and church as just an added on piece of your life, like an exercise routine or a good diet. This will improve things for me. That's not the Christian life at all. It's not part of your life. This is not what you are to do if you have time left over. This is not to sit on the back burner. This is your life as a Christian. Evangelizing the lost, edifying believers, exalting Jesus Christ is to permeate every aspect of your life. It it consumes everything you do, whether at home or at work or in the community, etc. This is who you are. Remember how Paul calls the church: you are the church of the living God the family of God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. This is your identity. This is who we are. This is what we do. And every growing believer is both seeking to grow into that calling and fulfill that calling. We'll never be perfect at it. We're waiting for Christ to return. To be perfected. But that passion and ambition began in your life, the moment you heard the gospel, understood it, believed it, and were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So, because that is true, and that's what we've learned from First Timothy, certainly, here's the question again, what earthly fears dampen and hold you back? Is it personal deficiencies? I, I, I just don't know enough of what to say or, or I don't, I don't have the physical ability to do this. Or I, th- there's, there's lots of timidities that come from our own sense of personal deficiency. It's a very real thing. And it can be debilitating. What it, maybe, it's, maybe it's negative human responses that close you off. Whether in the church or outside of the church. See if I if I put my foot forward and say this or do this in service or to speak Christ you know what's coming at me this person's going to say it. they're going to feel this way toward me I'm going to feel that negative attitude and I mean isn't this how we live as human beings we we're not we're not particularly kind to each other all the time Maybe it's earthly sacrifices. Maybe that is what holds you back and makes you feel timid and you think, well, I'm going to have to give up so much that I enjoy in the world to reorient my life to be permeated by the building up of the body of Christ and the exaltation of Christ through, through edification and evangelism. If that's my life then in everything that I do, it's, that's going to make me make sacrifices in my life that I really don't want to make because things in the earth the, the earthly life that I enjoy right now it's too precious to me there's all kinds of things that can dampen and hold us back that we feel timid about or fearful or have a feeling of of cowardice and what we need to understand this morning is that God has not given you a spirit of fear You need to look away from yourself and realize what spirit lives in you. I'm not telling you to trust in yourself this morning. When you have ministry opportunities that you are moving into, you will feel deficient. If you don't feel deficient, you have a wrong view of yourself you will if you have a right mindset every situation of gospel proclamation or ministry you're going to feel deficient we are weak in fact the evil one loves to make us weak in various ways so that we are not doing what god has called us to do this we should let this understand this as the new normal right we're going to be weak we're going to be deficient that's who we are and we're going to have negative personal responses That is part of the territory. Paul says it in this letter. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a gripping phrase, isn't it? All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So either we're living in the bush or we're not speaking it out as we ought. Think of this. You have the spirit of Power and love and self-control. So I encourage you as you think about this this morning, first, let's confess to our Father our sin of fear, of timidity, that's, that's hold, that holds us back and, and, and sets us down and causes us, or we allow it to cause us to be silent and still for Christ and rest in Christ's forgiveness because we have it, right? First John. I keep reminding you of that. First John 2. You have a perfect advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. You are already forgiven. But then be cleansed and move on and let and 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 concentrate on what the Spirit of God intends to do in you and through you. Depend upon Him. Do you? Do you mindfully depend upon Him? as you move into every opportunity of proclamation or service, depend upon Him. You won't feel it beforehand. I'm, I'm fairly certain of that. As you move into a ministry opportunity, most often you are going to feel deficient. But then, in God's time, in God's plan, He will empower you as you do His will And He will bring you through and you will see Him and His work through you. He will empower you. So that's why I remind you today, fan into flame the gift of God. Think of of the, the spiritual legacy of service that has come to you. You have the Scriptures and those in there who have served us by speaking of Christ and writing the Scriptures. Think of church history. Think of your family. Think of your church body. Think of the legacy of love that has been poured into you by Christ Himself, by your family, by your church family. The legacy of faith that God has given to you, putting His saving faith within you. Think of the Spirit who lives in you power, love, self control. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. One more thing before we pray this morning and close our service. I want to talk to you for just a moment who have not yet repented of your sin and trusted in Christ alone for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. I won't take it for granted that there is someone here like that, or listening online. Do you know that so many people are halted from coming to Christ for salvation because of fear? Fear of having to confess and give up the sins that they have loved, sexual sin, addictions, dishonesty, various sinful pleasures. It's a fearful thing to confess sin and sometimes that holds us back from coming to Christ. I don't want people to know what kind of life I've lived. I don't want to have to confess to this person or that person to make things right. I don't have to give this up. I'm just not going to do anything. Fear can hold you back from coming to Christ. Fear of a negative response from people that you know. Friends and family. If I, if I confess Christ, I know what my family's going to say. I know what my friends are going to say. Or maybe more in a church context, fear of openly acknowledging that, that a person has pretended to follow Christ. That can be a fearful thing. Maybe there's someone here that knows that they have not genuinely followed Christ. And if they say so, boy, that's gonna, there's going to be shame in association with that. I don't want people to know that, that I haven't been really who I've said I am. And any of those fears can hold you back from coming to Christ in genuine repentance and faith. Let me read to you a few words from Christ. Here's how He approached that fear. Luke 124 through 9 Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you, fear, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear Him who after He has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Here's Jesus' point. Take this to heart, my friends. When it comes to turning from your sin and trusting in Christ for forgiveness and righteousness and learning to follow Him, don't let the fear of man stop you. Let the fear of the Lord compel you. That's what he's saying. Come to Christ in true faith. Confess your pretense. Confess your sin. Grieve over your sins against the holy God of heaven. Cry out to Him for His mercy that He would deliver you from His just wrath. Ask Him to apply the righteousness of Christ to you and the atonement of Christ to you. And if you will, if you do so genuinely, He will have sent His Spirit into your heart and He'll renew your heart so that you will have a fear of God, an awe of God that will overshadow your fear of man. So this morning, if you would like to be saved or if you'd like to be baptized and profess your faith, or if you'd like to have some discipleship or encouragement regarding the exercise of your gift through speaking and serving and and overcome the fears that you deal with that, I would encourage you, please come talk with me and and I will do my best to help you with that or connect you with someone who can help you with that. This, This is such an important part of the body of Christ as we live our lives together for the glory of God. Let's stand together and we'll pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we are thankful for the encouragements that Paul gives to Timothy. Father, help us to truly get a real understanding of the, of the atmosphere in which we live in the kingdom of God. Help us to understand what, to what you have called us and how you have enabled and equipped us by the Holy Spirit. Overcome our fears by Him, Father, we pray. And enable anyone who has not yet come to Christ for salvation, overcome their fears too, Father, that they would sense Your mercy and grace and Your love that would woo them to come to Christ. Help them to be in awe of You rather than to fear men. Help us, Father. You know how much we struggle with timidity And yet, you have given us every reason to overcome it. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.